I'll talk gently. There we go. Okay, let's start again. Have you ever seen someone with a cochlear implant? And an implant, you don't even know what that is. An implant, a cochlear implant, you might have seen someone with a, like a, a I guess it's a, a receiver on the back of their head. It sits on the back of their head and they've had an electronic implant inside their ear that connects up with the receiver. The implant does the work of the damaged part of the ear. Um, these are particularly for people born, born deaf or who lose hearing through um, sickness or something like that. And what it does is obviously the receiver receives and it then transfers it to the implant which puts an electronic signal into the brain and allows this person to hear. Um, in, a, in a moment we're going to look at a, a short little clip of people hearing for the first time through these implants. Um, cry if you will, it's a pretty um, moving sort of experience for them. Um, and if you're listening to this audio sermon, search for deaf people's reactions when they hear for the first time on YouTube. Just take a look at this. Recording. Lachlan. First, first hearing aid. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is the, the big this moment the here. Moment. She's going to hear something. We don't really know what. I'm going to roll the sign and push in your head just a little bit. There you go. Beeping. So now technically your device is on. <laughs> Can you tell? Did you hear it? <laughs> hey, I sound. <laughs> You're hearing yourself better. Okay, you can cry. That's okay. Hi, Cooper. <gasps> Hi, Cooper. <laughs> Hi, Cooper. <laughs> Hi, baby. I know I look like an elderly munchkin, but do I sound like one now? <laughs>
it's okay to um, get a, a tear in your eye. Like that that guy in, in the green shirt, he was pretty big and buff, hey, and he got upset about it. <laughs> Can you imagine what it would be like for these people to hear for the first time or to hear after years and years of years of not being able to hear? To not be able to hear things like your kids whispering to you or or your loved one telling you that they love you or simple things that we take for granted like the birds in the trees or the wind in the trees what about serious things like not being able to hear a siren or oncoming traffic or a smoke alarm or something something simple like that that we take for granted it would change your life wouldn't it it would be very different and tonight in Mark's gospel we have the man who is is deaf he's not only deaf but he has a speech impediment that doesn't allow him to speak and communicate with others it would have been very difficult for him as a man in in his time he wouldn't have been able to communicate very well with others because there's no such thing as as sign language when when Bethany and and Mia were at a school um, while I was in Bible college they were at a school a deaf hear and say school and um, they spent quite a bit of time learning sign language and they were able to communicate with, with each other. I'm sorry, that still got me choked up. <laughs> they were able to communicate with each other, um, sometimes in, in very low light or in situations where they weren't allowed to talk to each other. Like church on a Sunday morning, they could, you know, sign language, just look like that to me. And, and one night we, we um, heard them giggling after lights out and... And there was no speaking in between the giggling, but in the low light they were, they were signing to each other and, and saying funny things. But there was no such thing in, in, in those days as, as um, in, in Jesus' day. And just like our Syrophoenician woman last week and the demoniac man from, from Mark chapter 5, this man wouldn't have been able to live a normal sort of life. He wouldn't have been able to communicate and work and, and, and do normal things that we take fairly for granted. He would have been able to live and survive, but not to the fullest degree that God desires of us or designed us to live. The first thing that stands out to me in our passage tonight is that the faith of the crowd who brought the deaf man to Jesus um, is quite remarkable. I'll read from verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. The crowd bring Jesus this deaf man, and they ask him to lay his hand on him. I don't think they necessarily thought that Jesus would heal them, heal the man. See, Laying hands on someone was a fairly common practice in, in Jesus' time. And if you brought someone who 
was either deaf or, or mute or something like that or, or just sick to a, to a rabbi, they would generally lay their hands on them and bless them. So the surprise that they exhibit and say that, that they were astonished is, is significant to the fact that they were most likely just expecting a, a blessing from, from Jesus. I don't want to downplay the faith that they show, but because it would have, would have um, surely taken some faith to, to bring him to Jesus because they wouldn't have known exactly who Jesus is. They would have just heard about him and, and heard about the things that he was doing. Let's have a look at the nature of this healing that Jesus does to this deaf man. From verse 33 to 35. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he puts his fingers, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. There were always crowds around Jesus. Always crowds around his, his disciples and there was just oh, people everywhere all the time. But there's not many miracles that were done in the, I want to say, in front of a crowd like a, a stage front sort of um, atmosphere. There were no miracles specifically done directly in front of the crowds. Jesus takes this man aside and, and gets down on his level and, and shows that, um, that he's a God who, who comes and meets people at their hour of need, but he's not about doing things for show and he's not about doing things to get the glory for himself. Our Syrophoenician woman from last week was was told to go home to find her daughter healed from the, the demon possession. And then nine times out of ten, the disciples are really the only uh, witnesses to the miracles. You think about the feeding of the 5,000 from a few weeks ago. It was the disciples that, that knew how many loaves and fishes that they had and how many baskets full um, and how many people that fed, how many baskets full that they, they collected back up. Jesus does these things in private, as I said, because it's not about him receiving the glory and the accolades. It's about God getting the glory. You can see that how in the way that he... He um, prays. He doesn't just simply do the things that, that he does. He prays and looks up to heaven, looks up to God the Father. Not only does Jesus take this man aside to, to develop a, a little bit of a rapport with him and to make contact with him, but he does significant things that the man would recognise. Remember, he's deaf, he can't hear these words that Jesus speaks. So it wouldn't, be, um, it wouldn't be significant if Jesus just spoke a word of healing over him. But he does physical things like putting his fingers in his ears and the sigh and the spit and touching the tongue. He enters the man's mental side 
And in some ways, it's a little bit of a test of the man's faith that of whether he, whether or not he wanted to be healed as well. The use of spit here is um, kind of gross, isn't it? Especially when it's touching the man's tongue. But the use of spit was a common healing sort of thing in, in Jesus' day. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind with some spit made of mud. No, some mud made of spit. I'm not suggesting that, that Jesus was testing the man here, but... But um, now I've lost my place. But it would certainly be a, a test of whether the man wanted to be healed. If he was to poke out his tongue and, and Jesus touched his tongue with a spitty hand, it would certainly be a, a, um, a real test of whether the man wanted to be healed. I want you to think about your experience in life right now do you have an experience where Jesus met you on your level where Jesus has come and, um, and really done something in your life either healed you spiritually or physically or where he simply just met you on a, in an hour of need and answered your prayer I want you to think about that as we go along. I was trying to think about something this afternoon that, that, that you know, is, is, is as significant as this moment in my life, but I really couldn't think of one. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, one verse, and, and look at verse 37. The people were astonished, and they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The people were astonished. <laughs> of course, so they should be, shouldn't they? I mean, a deaf man's been healed and he's been able to speak. Not just speak like the people on our YouTube clip where it's still, they're still getting used to the sound of their voice, but he speaks clearly. His tongue was loosened and it says he was able to speak clearly. It would have been quite an experience for the crowd and especially for the deaf man. Look at the, the simplicity with, with how Jesus heals this man compared to what we watched earlier. It would have taken years of research to develop a cochlear implant and yet Jesus does it with just two fingers, some spit and a prayer. The crowd responds in an interesting sort of manner, but I wonder whether they realised exactly how, how um, important this healing was to Jesus' ministry. I wonder how, how important they realised, how much they realised that this was a real clear sign of the promised Messiah. Flick over to Isaiah chapter 35 with me. I'm going to race you and see, if, and see who gets it first. Isaiah chapter 35. Now, I've got to leave my finger in Mark chapter 7 as well. Okay, who's got it? 
Okay, very good. Pastor's kid. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. And it's talking about the, the day of the Lord, the promised Messiah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. It's talking about the promised Messiah coming and doing all these sort of things. These will be clear signs that you will know that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come. Can you see the link here? Of course you can. It's interesting that the same word in the Greek Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, if I said that right, the Old Testament was translated into Greek so that Greek reading people could read it as well. The same word here for the man with a speech impediment is used in both of those verses. Mark chapter 6 and Isaiah 35. This healing is not the only thing that, that is associated with the kingdom of God. We know, living on this side of the cross, that the, the kingdom of God is ushered in by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus may have been thinking to himself, thinking about when the people were saying, he does all things well. He may have been thinking to himself, oh, you think I do that well. You wait until you see me on the cross. The final thing that Jesus says to them is he commands them not to tell anyone. Verse 36. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Jesus told them not to tell anyone because he's not about receiving glory, fame, honour, and yet these people didn't obey his command. Instead, the more he charged them not to tell anyone, the more they charged the more they told people about him. When we look at Isaiah sixty one verses one and two, the proclamation of the good news to to the poor, to the blind, to the captive was another warning sign of the coming of the kingdom of God. Flick over there again if you've gone back. Isaiah chapter 61. You got it, Bethany? Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. These are the words that Jesus reads out in the, in the um, synagogue when he starts his ministry. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to the, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. 
There's another significant word here, here in, in verse, um, verse 36. That is, they proclaimed it. They proclaimed all the things that Jesus had done. And you can see the link between Isaiah 61 and, and Mark chapter 7 in the fact that the people proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. The proclamation of good news to the blind, the poor and the captive was an, again another clear sign of the kingdom of God. These people were told to be quiet. They were told not to tell anyone, but they weren't. The things that we've been told to do are quite the opposite as followers of Jesus in the 21st century. We are commanded to to be witnesses to those around us to be witnesses of the things that we have seen and heard about Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Obviously, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria doesn't apply to us, but we are part of the people of God in the ends of the earth. And yet, sometimes you don't see us proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God more and more, do we? In fact, sometimes it's quite the opposite. The more Jesus commands us through evangelism or through Bible teaching or through the Bible itself, the more we clam up and don't say anything to those around us. This week I shared a, an article on Facebook um, about the falsibility of our religion, of our faith. The falsibility of, of Christianity compared to other religions and other faiths of the world Christian, Christianity is the most falsifiable. Let me say that again. Falsifiable. Now, falsifiable means that something is capable of being tested. Being tested by experiment or observation, and therefore it's either confirmable or it's not confirmable. It's either verifiable or it's not verifiable. I've used some big words in those sentences. But basically, it is saying that Christianity is one of the most tested and found to be true faiths out of the whole world. You notice in, in many of the, the passages in the Gospel... Um, not just Mark's gospel, but other gospels. It, it'll tell you the year of such and such as reign, the king, the place, the people that were there. And these sort of things are, are what makes Christianity and the Bible verifiable. We can go back to, to a definite point in time where Jesus was on the earth and there are witnesses to those facts. 
there are manuscripts and scrolls and mountains of evidence that that stack up that Christianity is true. Jesus is a real person and he did those things that he did. In particular, that he was crucified, he died and was buried and rose again. Now, if we have this sort of confidence, evidential confidence in our religion, in our faith, what stops us as Christians sharing our faith with others? And I don't just mean sharing it when it pops up into a conversation at a barbecue, but but if we have a faith that is capable of being tested, capable of of atheists testing it out and yet finding it's true, then what's to stop us from sharing our faith? What's to stop us from sharing our our experiences of, of what Jesus has done in our life? If you've thought about a specific circumstance in your life where Jesus has healed you or or met you on your level or done something really significant talk about it but there's a greater thing still Jesus has given us salvation as the people of God hasn't he he has given us salvation forgiveness of sins a life everlasting that should be able to to fill us with joy and just overflow to to the people that are around us. We should be able to share our faith confidently, to stand on the evidence that we have in the Bible. And we we sung a song earlier that that says, "I believe, I believe in God the Father." Jesus, his son, the Holy Spirit, all of the things that that are significant to Jesus, especially the resurrection and life everlasting. Is our faith overflowing into our life in a way that others know about it? Or are we simply just doing church? Are we simply just doing church and religion on a Sunday and then then through the week we're just like everyone else. I've certainly had times like that, but I'd like to encourage you tonight that we have the confidence not only to come before God and to be his people, but to share it with others as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the, the, um, the experience that you gave the deaf and mute man in the fact that he was, be, was able to be healed and speak clearly and he had his life changed. Lord, I thank you for the, the way that you've changed our lives, not necessarily physically but especially spiritually. You've called us into the kingdom of God and made us your children through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And Lord, I just pray that that would be able to, the, the joy and the experience of that, the confidence that we have in that, that that would overflow into our, into our lives, into every aspect of our lives. And that we would be able to, to share that confidence that we have with others around us. Lord, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, Janine.